welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Justin, your 30-second host, and welcome to the Separate Church Podcast. Merry Christmas. Today's podcast is our Christmas service podcast. And with that, we have a very special Christmas origin story or an alternate alternative origin story. So without further ado, here's Eddie Park. What's up, everybody? My name is Eddie, and I'm the founding and teaching pastor of Supper Church, formerly known as Hug Church and Merry Christmas to you all. Today is the Sunday before Christmas. So since Sunday is on Saturday uh, next week, um, so from me and my family and from Supper Church staff, we want to wish you a happy holidays and hope you all have a wonderful time spending Christmas with your friends and your family. Well, in, in the spirit of Christmas... Uh, the question of the day was, what is your favorite Christmas movie? Now, I'm going to guess that at least one of you, one of you said that your favorite Christmas movie is Die Hard. And as your favorite Christmas movie, uh, as your favorite Christmas movie, and you know, the world can be easily split into two groups of people. People who say Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and those who say Die Hard is isn't a Christmas movie. And you can probably guess which group I fall into. Die Hard is most definitely a Christmas movie. But a couple years ago, I actually watched an interesting Christmas movie with my kids, and it was a movie called Claus on Netflix. And it was actually really good. And if you didn't watch Claus, uh, I recommend it. But what was interesting about this is that it was one of those alternative alternate origin stories of Santa Claus. It was about a postman who gets assigned to a small village or small uh, town on an island and meets a very introverted, reclusive toy maker named Klaus or Klaus. And I'm a huge fan of movies that do like alternate origin stories like The Joker with Joaquin Phoenix, Cruella with Emma Stone, and Star Trek with Chris Pine. And fun fact, Star Trek was actually the very first movie that Eunice and I watched together when we were dating, and we watch it over and over to this day. So for this Christmas message, I thought it would be fun to give you an alternate origin story of one of the most famous Christmas stories of all time, which is the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, before you guys go all crazy on me, Eddie, what do you mean an alternate origin story? The birth of Jesus is probably the most, one of the most vivid and memorable stories. How many of us had to play one of the characters in a Christmas play? Like, you know, maybe one of you were like the shepherds or, or one of the three wise men or like the donkey or the camel, right? I remember so vividly year after year, I remember watching Joseph would be going like house to house with his pregnant wife, Mary, or fiance at that time. Uh, and looking like she was about to pop, right, because she was pregnant. And I remember the, the person playing Joseph would be pleading with every innkeeper to let them in, but they'd all get rejected. They all rejected him. And then the only place that had room was like this stable or this barn. And the only place to put Jesus was in this manger with hay all over it. And right before this, remember all the angels 
you know, told the shepherds about Jesus and that they were all that they had to follow this giant star. Remember, the, there's always a giant star above the manger. And what about the three wise men? They, they traveled from a distant land, right? But what if I told you that in the actual story of the birth of Jesus, there was no shining star? There was no stable or barn. There wasn't even an inn or an innkeeper. And it's no and there's nowhere that it says that there were three wise men. <gasps> what? But Eddie, the plays, the plays, the, the children's books, the animated movies, the nativity scenes. What are you talking about? Why are you trying to ruin my Christmas dreams? Well, I'm not trying to ruin your Christmas dreams or your childhood memories. And I'm not even giving you this ultimate alternate origin story that's like made up. I actually want to give you the real story of the birth of Jesus. And what I want to talk about is how learning about the real facts and the details of this story and how that actually changes our theology and what we believe about Jesus and our faith in Jesus and why that is so important today. So what is the real story of the birth of Jesus. Well, let's first read the actual story from Luke chapter 2. And it goes like this. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of the King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in order uh, in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from, from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was with now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son, she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for him. And that's it. <laughs> that's the story. Wait, Eddie, that can't be it. I mean, where's the part about like Joseph going from like in to in and getting rejected by the innkeepers? Wait, where, where's the donkey? Where, where, how come there's no mention of animals like anywhere? I'm, I'm freaking out, man. Like, where's the three kings? Where's the three wise men? Why aren't they there? Where's the star? Isn't, wasn't there a star? Nope. That's literally all we have in the birth of Jesus. So wait. Then where does all that come from? Well, it comes from actually how one word is translated in verse 7. And in the King James Version, it says this. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So that one phrase, there was no room for them in the inn, created this whole backstory 
Well, why was there no room for them in the inn? They, 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 they must have gone to every single holiday inn in Bethlehem, and there was no room. There was no room. Or they got rejected because they knew that Mary was pregnant out of wedlock because somehow they knew that Mary was, was, uh, just, was just Joseph's fiance, so they shunned them. And, and because they were shame, it was shameful. And then when they finally found an actual innkeeper that would take them, there was no room. There was only a barn or stable. Well, let me tell you again, there was no inn. There was no innkeeper. And there wasn't dozens of inns that were rejecting Joseph and Mary. There was no barn. Maybe not even animals. But the reason I know this is because the word for, uh, because the word in the King James Version uses the word for, uh, for inn in Greek is kataluma. Kataluma, which means a place to stay. Which kind of sounds like in, but the reason why it does not mean in is because when Luke, who writes this story, actually writes another story that Jesus tells about the Good Samaritan who takes a wounded man to an inn. And guess what? You would think that Luke would use the same exact word, right? Kataluma. Nope. He uses an entirely different word. He used the word pendokion, which as a Greek nerd, I know that that is actually the proper cultural word to signify a place where you pay money to rent a room to sleep. So then what the heck does kataluma mean? Well, there is a place where we see the word kataluma being used. And it was when Jesus asked the disciples to reserve a kataluma to hold the Last Supper, which we know was the upper room, an extra room, or culturally meaning kataluma, a guest room. See, in the ancient Jewish culture, you only have inns in places that are in the middle of nowhere, in between two big cities. For the Good Samaritan story, it makes sense that in between Jericho and Jerusalem, there was a stretch of nothing. So in between, there would be a inn or a pandokion to rest and take a break. But in a major city like Bethlehem, the custom was to house any visitor that was Jewish. And it was, ex- it was seen as extremely shameful not to accommodate a fellow Jew to stay for a night. It, like, extremely shameful. And guess what? The first verse said that this was Joseph's, what? Hometown. Which means that Joseph has probably relatives, cousins, uncles, grandparents, distant or close that he could probably have stayed with. So if I can ruin the Christmas story for you just a little bit more. Joseph and Mary probably stayed at one of Joseph's relatives' place, but the place was super small, and there was probably not a lot of there was probably a lot of people like living immigrant style, and everyone would sleep on the loft of that place. So the only place that Joseph and Mary was at the bottom 
where maybe there might have been animals at the bottom because you house them in one little place so they would sleep there too. I know what you're thinking. Oh my gosh, Eddie, you're blowing my mind right now, right? This is crazy. I know, I know. But here's what I really want to talk about. How does this image change the Christmas story? How does this change how we think about Jesus? Well, don't get me wrong. We Americans, we love drama. We love the underdog story. It's so compelling. We love movies like Spider-Man. Don't worry. I won't ruin anything if you haven't watched it. We love it because when we think about the story of Jesus' birth being rejected by every innkeeper and that the only place that they would let a baby be born or sleep is in a barn. You're like, oh my gosh. And then, then you add some movie magic, like there was a star right above him. And the shepherds and the three wise men saw this giant star above the barn or manger. And so that's how they knew it was him. And when we add all this drama, it just makes the story so good. And it's the story that Jesus was rejected, even right before he came into the world. Even the minute he was born, he was in this insufferable situation, this dirty barn that no one would give him a clean place to stay. But what does this really change about our faith and even the truth about Jesus? Well, the dramatic story makes us believe that the world is constantly trying to reject Jesus. And we need to make, and we need to make you so, feel so guilty about it and how the world treated Jesus, so you better accept him. But instead, the truth is that it's not that most people reject him. It's that most people don't have enough room for him. Actually, the birth of Jesus was a very normal story. Most people would read and hear about the story and see how it was very relatable. Other people would hear this and say, oh yeah, I remember when I had to give birth to Jeremiah in my cousin's place and we had to put him in a manger. But the reality this gives us is that he's there, he's real, it's just that we don't have enough space for him. We don't have enough room. And this is incredibly profound. Because if you think about Western Christian faith, it's really an us versus them mentality. If you are not for us, then you are against us. If you don't believe, it's because you reject him. You are rejecting Jesus. But in reality, it's not that people deny who Jesus was. Most people believe in the historical Jesus. It's not that they think that he's even crazy. I personally think that most people believing and unbelieving think that Jesus was actually a really good person and a great human being. But the hidden truth in the real origin story in the birth of Christ is that we don't have enough room for them, room for him. He's there, but we'll put him downstairs in a box, literally. We're so busy. We work 40, 50, 60 hours a week. If you're me or Justin, we work 65, 70 hours a week. 
We have kids. We have friends. We have video games. We have Laker games. We have so much to do. But where does Jesus fit in all that? He's there, but there's not much room for him. But when you think about the second time we hear the word kataluma, it's odd how Jesus tells his disciples to go find him a room. Go reserve for me an upper room to do what? To eat, to drink, to have communion. And it's where he held the Last Supper and gave his most important words to his disciples. And so I want to stress the importance. I want to stress to you the importance of what we are doing here at Supper Church, in our weekly online services, in our weekly and monthly suppers, in our in-person gatherings that we hold once or twice a month, where we eat and we drink and we take communion together. We are making room for Jesus. We are reserving room for Jesus on Sundays. We are making room for Jesus on Friday nights. We are making room for Jesus on Sunday nights. But the reality is, just like when Jesus was born, the world has not changed. The world is no different. There's no room for him. There's no space for him. We're all so busy with our lives. So I want to stress that that's what we're trying to do in our gatherings. We're, we're making room for him in our busy lives. It's hard to create the space on our own. So we as a church, we're trying to create that space where it's enjoyable, it's authentic, it's fun, and it's meaningful. You know, we had a great gathering this past Sunday at Eleno and Charities. We got to eat together, drink together, and we took communion together, and it was such a beautiful time where we created space Jesus. We had created room. We made room for him to come and speak and live in our hearts as we had conversations and got to see each other. So I want to encourage you, continue, come to our Zoom calls when we have our online virtual services. Continue to come to Friday night suppers at Justin's or suppers at Aries or suppers at our house And if you want to create your own space for people to gather and make room for Jesus in their busy weeks, please, please, I'm pleading you to do so. And importantly, I encourage all of you, all of you, to come to our next gathering in January where we are going to intentionally make room for Jesus in our lives. I hope you all have a safe and wonderful holiday. I love you all, and I'll see you after the holidays. Let's pray together. Father, I just want to pray and bless for every single person that hears this message. And as silly as it sounds, we love the Christmas story that we all heard from our childhood the Christmas story that's so colorful and fun and vivid and, and exciting. But God, as we think about the real facts and details of how Jesus was born, it's not that the world was constantly rejecting him. 
but it's, it's that the world doesn't make room for him. And in our lives, God, how many of us, instead of just actively rejecting Jesus out of our lives, how many of us more struggle with trying to create enough room for him? Do we have enough space for Jesus to come and live and be part of our lives? Do we make enough space to worship him? Do we give him enough room to speak into our lives and grab a foothold? So God, as we think about this Christmas, as we think about how we spent our time this past year, God, have we made enough room for Jesus? Have we, have we tried to carve out that time? So God, I pray that many people who are listening to this, God, that whether they are part of our community or not, that they are encouraged to really go. Go and come to the spaces, especially their faith communities that are creating that space, that room for Jesus in our lives on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis. Because it's so important. We're so busy and there's so much to do and we're doing so much. But making that room, that space for Jesus to live in our lives, in our hearts. God, it's so important. And it's so meaningful. So God, I pray that many people are encouraged, are just encouraged and excited to come to our gatherings, to come and be connected carve out room for Jesus in their weeks. We thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Happy holidays.